Last week, um, we started our reading plan, our church-wide reading plan that we've asked everyone to let's do this together. Let's get together and read the Word of God uh, alone together, <laughs> you know. And um, last week, um, and there's a reading a plan that we've produced. I think we're out of copies on the table back there. Maybe we'll get some more. If you, we did, awesome. It's restocked. So we got reading plans back there telling you what to read on which weeks and the memory verse. Um, but last week was uh, to read James chapter 1 and James chapter 2. And our memory verse was Matthew 4, 19. So raise your hand if you got it memorized. He's got it memorized, Fortnite. I really want to know. Okay. All right. Everyone in the front rows got it good. You knew it was coming. You're like, I better get this one. He's going to, it is an easy one. Jesus said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Yes, sir. No, sir. No, actually, Bob's going to give a $10 bill, whoever comes up to him. After church, he'll form a line into his row. Bring the children. This will be a great encouragement from Father Bob. We love you, Bob. Thank you for, for being. So anyway, listen, let's really make that a priority, okay? Let's make the memorization of God's word a priority in our family. Um, and so, so that was last week's memory verse, last week's chapter, this week. So now what we're going to do, we come together as a family, whether you do it today after church or any night this week, however you can get all those people and your family, your children, or in your discipleship group, and you're going to talk about this week one of your here journal that you did on either one, a verse from either one of those chapters. And so that's this week. You're going to get together as a family or as a D group, talk about Here's what, you know, God highlighted to me in one of these chapters this week. You're going to do all the, the great outline that we've put in the handout. If you didn't get a handout, they're back there. Please get one to help you kind of go through your, your de- discipleship time as a family or as a group. And again, this week, then we're going to read James chapter 3 and James chapter 4. And we're going to do a here journal on those, right? Rinse, repeat. Rinse, repeat. That's what we're going to do, Okay. Okay, so today <clears throat> what I thought I would do is I just want to talk through some tips to help us get the greatest benefit from our discipleship times with our groups as we are studying the Word of God. And I would start, I'd like to start um, with a study that was published in 2013 and it was led um, by a professor, his name's uh, Vern L. Bengston. I think I said that right. He's a professor at University of Central Florida. And in this study, they conduct, it was over the course of 30 years that they have done this study. And they uh, involved 3,500 people. And it spanned four generations. Kids, parents, grandparents, great-grandparents. And in this study, they asked a question. 
what sociological factors are present for successful faith transmission. In other words, what were the relational environment what was the relational environment the the in the the situation the environment that helped parents pass their faith onto their children onto their children onto their children what was the things or the thing that really helped that happen and it, this may surprise you it may not the number 1 reason for successful faith transmission number one a warm relationship with their father 30 years 3,500 people in this study four generations they kept asking this question they kept looking what is the key what was the number one sociological factor and they found a warm relationship with the Father. Now listen, here's what this doesn't mean. Moms, doesn't mean you aren't necessary. <laughs> it does not mean you are not important. Many times you are carrying this thing. But what they found is that dad is very important doesn't mean moms are not. It just means that dads have been uniquely designed by God to have a massive influence in how children carry on the faith that's been passed down to them. Now, what does warm mean? Well, words like kindness, compassion, understanding, and yes, physical affection are all words used to describe warmth. Now, some of you may remember a series that I preached um, just before COVID hit us. Um, and it was on experiencing the Father's embrace. You guys remember that? And in a couple of those sermons, um, we learned about how different kinds of about different kinds of dads that we grew up under. Uh, and they didn't represent necessarily warmth. And we realized that as we kind of grew up under fathers who were, you know, maybe out of, you know, post-World War II and grandparents were that, you know, it's easy that as dads don't pass on warmth that it keeps going. And so we can easily, you know, and, and we, in that message I talked about how we can easily become that kind of dad if we do not have an encounter with our warm, heavenly Father. You know, expressing warmth can be very difficult if you've never experienced it yourself. Now listen, it's true. Our children, they need guidance they need leadership, and they need strength from us as fathers. But what this study re reveals is that our children will struggle to receive our faith if our leadership, our guidance, and our discipline comes from a cold relationship. 
from a distant relationship. You see, if, if we only focus on, you know, or obey me or else kind of relationship, if we mostly focus on performance and right or wrong behavior, we are not going to see our faith passed on like we would like. Now again, I'm not saying that we don't discipline, that we don't uh, teach our children how to respect authority, very important things. But what this study is telling us is that just like our Heavenly Father, who corrects and disciplines us, He is also the most loving, warm, and affectionate Father we will ever know. So dads, we need you taking leadership in discipleship. We need you calling your family together every week to discuss these here journals. We need you demonstrating what you learned in your study of God's word. We need you talking about the word of God when you wake up and when you lay down at night. When you drive them to school or to sports or to whatever activities they have. You see, hair journals will not save your children from atheism. It's just a tool. But you, dad, and your wife, teaching and living out the word of God every day in every moment and loving your children with warmth, just like your heavenly father loves us, that will help save them from atheism. Listen to these scriptures about Father God's love. Jeremiah 31, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love and I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I love this scripture where God speaks through the prophet Hosea. And he says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals and they burned incense to images. But it was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. And I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts little, a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. This is our example, dads. To be like our Heavenly Father. So let us, let us be the leaders that God has called us to be. Let us be the warm, loving fathers our children long for. In fact, dads right now, we have a special opportunity to actually fulfill prophetic promises of Scripture. Malachi chapter 4 tells us, 
verse 5, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Prophetic promises are waiting on us to embrace our role as dads. To be leaders who love and lead with the word of God in a warm relationship. The return of Jesus is in conjunction with the hearts of fathers turning to their children. Dads, we can literally be a part of fulfilling Scripture. So we need your warmth, your warm strength, providing leadership, calling your family to this thing of discipleship. And listen, let me say this too to our single moms and dads. I just want you to know that there's grace available to you. You have grace available to impart your faith to your children. Psalm 68, 5 beautifully tells us that God is father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God makes up for everything we lack. So don't get hopeless and don't get feeling like I don't have what it takes and oh great, my kids are set up for failure. No. In fact, we can't lose hope, you know. Because God is with you, God is fighting for you. And, and listen, here's another beautiful reason why we're supposed to be in community. This is, this is why, one of the, what I'm about to say is why we need to stay in connection in the body of Christ. You see, when there's no biological dad or mom, we've got spiritual dads and moms who can help make up what's missing. That's why everyone needs to do discipleship in this place. We need spiritual fathers and mothers to help us grow in our faith. And you know, once we raise our own children, and sometimes while we're raising our our own children, we need to focus on spiritual parenting. Which especially means helping those without dads, without moms in their home. We can do this together. So tip number one for the morning. Dads, we need you leading your family discipleship times in the context of a warm relationship with your children. For successful faith transmission of the faith to your children, they need a warm relationship with you. So I'm asking you to please pray and to think about how kindness and compassion and understanding and affection can begin to increase in your life. How can this begin to increase in your interactions with your children on a daily basis?
I know we love to joke as husbands with our wives sometimes we go, I told you I loved you when I married you, and if anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> it's a cop-out to say I never have to say I love you again. Well, we can do the same with our kids. I told you I loved you last week, last month, on your birthday, whatever. It's got to be daily. It has to be a daily investment. All right, let's move on to tip two. Now, this is going to be, the rest of these are going to be more technical in nature um, because I, I, I want to provide these to really help us get the most out of our study of God's Word, okay? So tip number two. Before we can discover the application of Scripture, we must understand the meaning of the Scripture. And this is where our HEAR journals are really going to help us out. So in the acronym HEAR, the letter E stands for the word EXPLAIN, right? So before we can get to the APPLY part of Scripture to our lives, we first need to explain or understand the true meaning of what we're reading. You know, a lot of times, many times, we don't come up with a good application of Scripture to our life because we actually never understood the meaning of the Scripture in the first place. And so, in our HEAR journal, there are several questions that we ask ourselves to help us get to the actual meaning of the Scripture. And we, we must understand that when God inspired the writers of the Bible, there was a specific meaning to the words they wrote. And that meaning is wrapped up in who they were writing to, the historical culture of those people, the meaning of the original words in the original language, and the situation or circumstance of that moment or day. So in our HEAR journal, we can ask questions like this. Why was this written? To whom was it originally written? How does it fit with the verses before it and after it? Why did the Holy Spirit include this passage in the book? What is he intending to communicate through this text? And just writing a short summary of the scripture. See, all those questions are designed to help us understand the meaning first. Before we move to applying it to our lives. Because if we miss the meaning of a scripture, then we will most likely misapply that scripture to our lives. You know, this statement's really important. Interpretation must be based on the author's intention of meaning, not the reader. So to help us to be able to do this, we need some good Bible study tools. You know, we are about 2,000 plus years uh, removed from the biblical authors 
and their context. And their context was very different than ours. So we need some stuff to help us kind of bridge that cultural uh, time frame so that we can really understand what they meant when they wrote it. And so the first tool, and we've, you know, I think Jeff and Alex mentioned this, the first tool that we should get is a good study Bible that has lots of notes that explain the historical and cultural background information. And, you know, most Bible translations uh, come in editions that have these kinds of notes. Now, the most popular ones, the NIV Study Bible, the ESV Study Bible, and the Life Application Study Bible, which is also an NIV text, based on the NIV text. These are probably the biggest, most popular study Bibles that are out there. And I realize that we all have our favorite, you know, TV preacher who, you know, we've got the Joyce Meyer Bible and the John Maxwell. There's, you know, Jeremiah, David Jeremiah. There's all kinds of, of great thing, Bibles out there that have their notes, and those are wonderful as well. But a lot of these have, have a group of scholars that have contributed to these study Bibles. So I, I encourage you, the goal, again, of your study Bible to get the most extensive uh, help is to find a study Bible that's got lots of notes in it. Like the, some of the, 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 the top study Bibles will have upwards of 60,000 notes just explaining the verse and explaining the history, explaining the cultural moment of that, of this chapter, or why you know, this one wrote this, or why he was saying that. So everyone, I encourage you, get a really good study Bible. Now after this resource, and another important tool are commentaries. Okay? And what a commentary does is it provides us with, again, really in-depth historical and cultural and sometimes even the grammatical meaning of certain words of Scripture. And what a commentary is... It is a book of comments. <laughs> it is uh, scholars from, again, different uh, theological schools or places where they have uh, come and they have spent their life studying the culture, the history, the words, the meaning. They have spent their entire life figuring these things out. And they come together and they write them into a series of books called commentaries. And so a great place to find free commentaries is a place called Bible Hub, okay? Now, I'm going to walk you through how to make this happen. It's not really difficult. So this is BibleHub.com. This is usually what the front screen looks like. Now, if they have an app, I think, as well, if you want to download that. Um, so basically, once you get to this place... Um, you're going to see right here in this drop-down box up here at the top where you can put in the book that you want to look up. So you write, you know, click the, the drop-down right there, and let's say it's James, and you put the word you know, James in there. And then when James populates, then you come over here, and you can put in the verse that you want to look at. And so once you do that, and you hit enter or whatever, 
The next screen should look something like this. It's <clears throat> populated James verse one, or chapter 1, verse 12. Now, once you get to this point, you got one more click, and you should be done. If you'll look right here in the middle, these black words, right in the middle is the word comment, which is just short for commentary. So when you're on the web page, you just click that little button. And now it takes you to a screen where it lists all of the free commentaries on this website. Forget the pointer to work. What's going on here? Come on. There we go. So right here in blue, these are all the free commentaries that are available, that set, have something to say about James chapter 1, verse 12. And so, they also do a good thing, is already populated on this screen as you scroll down, they've already loaded every commentary entry on this web page. So you just scroll, 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 and you can read through any one of these commentaries. Now, some are very scholarly, Avoid them. They're just not going to be that helpful. But some are really good and very to the point to understand what is going on and uh, the context, the history, the, the grammar, um, so that we understand what's being said and done. Now, some of my favorite commentaries that are on that website, Matthew Henry's Concise Commentary, Notice the word concise. He's got, there's a Matthew Henry's commentary. Then there's Barnes Notes, and then there's uh, James Fawcett Brown. Those are three that I really enjoy. And I encourage you to check out different ones. Don't just read one and go, oh, that's everything there is. Every commentary will have some different things to say to help you really understand what is being said. And not every commentary has information on every scripture in the Bible. Okay, so you may put in another scripture and go, well, what happened to Barnes notes? I really like that. I can't find it. Well, Barnes didn't write anything about it, so you won't see that. Okay, so click around, find the ones that that help you understand the meaning, because, again, everyone should be using these tools. Everyone. They're not hard. They don't cost anything except Internet access that you're paying for anyway. But these are free tools to help us get the meaning. And so again, let me say this. <clears throat> Everybody can and should be using this. But dads, discipleship leaders, group leaders, this is a very important tool for you as you lead your discipleship times. And here's why. <clears throat> Inevitably, someone in a Bible study that you're studying the Word of God with will say, uh, something like, well, this is what I think this verse means to me. Our job as dads, moms, discipleship leaders is to gently redirect them and clarify that the meaning is only limited to what the author intended it to mean. So, tip two. 
Before we can discover the application of a scripture, we must understand the meaning of the scripture. Which leads us to tip number three. Now, these other tips are really going to also kind of help support the big tip number two. Just, it'll seem more of the same, but more. Tip number three. Context is king. In order to understand the meaning of a scripture, we must understand the context. Everyone say context. Context. I heard a few contests. <laughs> you can be the first to get through the context. That's a good. Interpretations must be made. They must be done in the context of the passage. So, for instance, what does this mean? It was a ball. Well, what does that mean? It means basically whatever the context to that would mean. Let's think about these sentences, right? The baseball umpire saw the pitch drift to the outside and said, It was a ball. We went to the dance last night. In fact, it was so formal, it was a ball. As I was walking along the golf course, I spotted something small and white in the tall grass. It was a ball. That's my golf game, too. I never seem to hit from the short grass. That's weird. I had so much fun at game night, it was a ball. Right? The context determined the meaning of that one little sentence. It was a ball. So, when we're thinking about context, we have to understand this rule. The nearest context must be given the most weight in your interpretation. First, there is the near context of the sentence, you know, like what immediately was before it and after it. Then we have the paragraph. Then we look larger to the section or maybe the chapter. We look at what is the whole book about. And then we look at the author and what was his situation. So we, the interpreter, we have to look at all of these levels of context to be able to correctly understand the meaning of Scripture. You know, far too often, I think, we, we try to interpret a verse all by itself in its isolation. Without looking at the context itself. For example, let's look at a verse in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, which is sometimes used as an illustration for evangelism. Okay? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him. And, he, and we'll eat with him and he with me. Now, if this is all we looked at, it would be easy to understand or come up with a meaning that this verse has something to do with someone asking Jesus into their heart for the first time. In fact, I've probably did it a time or two. I've given lots of altar calls. So we'll pull out anything, get people saved. <laughs> You're going to get hit by a bus. Even though there are no more buses anymore, <laughs> except big cities, maybe. 
if this is all we looked at, we would think, oh, maybe this is for, you know, unsaved people. But the context in the preceding verse, verse 19, is talking about discipline of those whom Jesus loves. And it's referring to believers. Verse 19, to those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. When we look at the larger paragraph, we can see that this passage is actually addressed to the church. The very beginning of the ch- uh, this, this section, it says in verse 14, it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And then at the end of this passage of Scripture, this section, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to who? The churches. So this verse is really addressed to believers who need to repent from their sin and return to fellowship with God. Context is king. Number four tip. Interpret the Bible literally while also allowing for normal use of figurative language. In other words, when we read our Bible, just take the plain meaning of the text at face value. We don't have to convolute it or write, read some deep, you know, spiritual something into the passage. It's not necessary to, to look, always look for deep and hidden meaning. The text is saying something as it is, as it's written. It is fine enough just the way it is. So we can't just always be going, well, I think God's saying I need to quit my job and buy a a convertible car and move to California. (laughs) What? No, Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, there's there's a coast on California and lots of fish. It's prophetic, Tom. It sounds a little pathetic. <laughs> it sounds like you just want to move to California. <laughs> of course, no one here would. We'd all say Florida, right? Yeah. A good red state. We want to live in a communist nation, I understand. Anyway, moving on. The text is good enough as it is. Now, sometimes when the literal meaning doesn't make sense, you need to think or consider that maybe we have a, a figure of speech, right? Everybody remember that from high school English? You know, for example, Isaiah 55 verse 12 says, Let the trees of the field clap their hands. Trees don't have hands. And they don't clap. It's a figure of speech. It's a metaphor. So when you're reading something and it seems weird and you maybe don't understand it, consider, is there some figure of speech? Look for words like, like or as, you know, those are all things that communicate a figure of speech. And again, figures of speech and illustrations, <coughs> what they do is they really give the Bible a uh, very powerful and very colorful means of expressing truth. Right. The trees of the field clap their hands. The truth, the powerful truth is, man, everything in creation knows who God is. And they praise him. 
They are designed, they were put there for praise. An inanimate tree was put there for praise. So, figures of speech are important. Make sure that you're, you're, if you're dealing with that, and make sure that you're using it in, in its most normal uh, uh, way, normal fashion. So tip four, interpret the Bible literally, allowing for normal use of figurative language. Tip number five, use the Bible to help interpret itself. This is, so, you know, I'm not going to pretend that there's not some really difficult verses in the Bible. Sometimes they're like, what is going on here? Well, your first step you, you've got to approach that with is you've got to take clear, simpler vi- verses to help interpret the more complicated ones. You see, the Bible is God's word, and God is true, and so the Bible's not going to contradict itself. And I know there's a lot of websites and podcasts and YouTube channels that former Christians and non-Christians love to, you know, there's just full of contradictions. Not when you study the Bible, you don't. When you really let the Word of God teach you about the Word of God. So whenever we can, we want to use the Bible to interpret the Bible. For example, when we, when we read stuff in the Old Testament, we want to use the New Testament to help uh, interpret what the Old Testament was saying. Right? See, the Bible is a progressive revelation. That means that the Bible is giving more revelation on topics over time. So, tip number five, use the Bible to help interpret itself. Tip number six, multiple applications can come from one interpretation. Now, while there is just one interpretation that is historical... There are many applications that can be carried over to our modern text or context. So in our here journal, the letter A stands for application or apply. Again, the meaning of a scripture, the interpretation of the verse or verses, it is separate and different than the application. Okay? I really want you to, in your brain, like have this picture of meaning, interpretation, draw a line, application. Meaning, draw the line, application. You don't cross over. You get the meaning. We have to have the meaning before we start working on application. Only after we have a correct interpretation of the scripture can we then begin to move to application. Once we have the correct interpretation, then we, that line, we build a bridge from meaning and interpretation, which is a timeless principle. Then we build a bridge over to the application for us today. For example, John chapter 12, 
we see this beautiful picture of, of Mary, not his mother, um, but she pours out this expensive oil on Jesus. Now, the historical context and meaning records a historical event. The, in, the interpretation, it just relates to what Mary did to Jesus. But then we build a bridge to application and we ask, what about us today? How does this apply to us today? And so an application might be that we should be willing to give sacrificially to the Lord and to the Lord's work. That can be an application. We first have to know the interpretation before we can move into the application. Application is the moment where Scripture becomes personal. This is where we move from just Bible reading and Bible study to Bible doing. So the goal of our discipleship groups, and I think they may, Alex and Jeff may have said this, if not, we'll say it again because it's so important. The goal of our family disciple time, our, our discipleship groups, the goal of these groups is obedience-based discipleship. Obedience-based discipleship is what Jesus taught, and it's what we have to teach. As American Christians, we are so into Bible learning, Bible hearing, accumulation of knowledge. Lots, we love listening and listening and listening. But the kind of discipleship that Jesus taught us to do and to teach was to do obedience-based discipleship, right? What did Matthew 28, what's he say? He says, teach them what? To learn more. No, to obey all that I've commanded. And so that has to be the goal as we do application. That's what application is designed to do. So when we're leading our groups, we have to we bring our discipleship to application and apply once we have the interpretation. All right. Here's all the tips. Just six of them. Now, I'm not done, but if you want to take a picture of them all together. So what I thought I would do to wrap up is I thought I would share my hair journal from this week, from last week, and just kind of walk you through this process that I go through, how I go through it, with yet another example, you know. I mean, we've got a great example in the handout, um, the worksheets that Alex and Jeff provided us. Um, but I'm just going to, I wanted to give us another one. I wanted you to see mine for this week, or from last week that we'll talk about this week. Now, listen, please keep in mind, I have these extra questions in my journal time, okay? I have all of these extra questions that I like to ask myself to help me really understand the scripture and determine a fruitful application for my life. 
So this is mine. So last week, um, so the scripture I used was James 1.12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And so the title I gave it was, When Trials Come, So Does Blessing, If We Stand the Test Until the End. So now I'm going to move into the explain, right? That's the next step. And some questions I answered to help me understand the meaning were these. Why was this written? I said, to help us stay motivated and encouraged when we face difficult trials in life. Now notice, there's no depth. <laughs> when I say depth, I mean it's not, you know, this isn't like... <laughs> the, the, theologi- you know, the theological ramifications of the trial is based upon the, you know, <laughs> exemplary model of Christ and His church, which is predestinated. It's just simple. Why was it written? To help us be motivated, <laughs> to encourage us, right? To whom was it originally written? And it was written to the scattered tribes of Israel. Now, how did I know that? Well, it's in the verse 1 of the chapter. It says it. James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who? To the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. So dispersion just means scattered. So, you know, he's, this is written to everyone, in other words. Now, most letters in the New Testament, they have some kind of greeting at the beginning, which tells us uh, who the letter is written to. When you go through Proverbs, you can see over and over and over, who's it written to? Solomon's son, Solomon's son, my son, my son. He's he's speaking to his son. So we have to know who it's written to because it affects how we interpret what this letter is about. He's not talking to unsaved people. He's not talking to Gentiles. He's talking to Israel. Now, another way to tell who the letter is addressed to, it's in the name of the book of the Bible. All right. Galatians, the book, uh, the letter of Galatians was written to Christians who live in Galatia. Corinthians was written to Christians in Corinth. Ephesians was written to Christians in Ephesus. Same with Romans, Thessalonians, etc. Right. Now, this obviously doesn't apply to the Gospels. Because the Gospels bear the name of the guy who wrote them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So I'm sorry this, this feels like simple stuff, but there's a lot of people online who maybe don't even know any of this. Sometimes in the middle of a letter, Paul or one of the other writers, they'll a- address a specific person or a group of people, right? We got the letter to the Ephesians from Paul. But around chapter 5, he starts speaking to specific groups. He starts talking to husbands. Husbands, I'm talking to you. Sometimes it's wives. Sometimes it's children. Sometimes he's talking to men in the church. Sometimes they're talking to women in the church. It's important to know who they're talking to. Sometimes he calls out an individual. (laughs) Like, hey, you and you, stop it. So it's always important to know who the scripture is being addressed to in order to understand the meaning and the correct interpretation. And so in my passage, James, he didn't change anything from verse one to where we are. So he's speaking to the 12 tribes. 
Here's some more questions I ask myself to help me understand its meaning. How does this fit with the verses before it and after it? I said, before it, James begins talking about trials in our life. He shares that trials are good because of what they produce in us. He also encourages us to stay humble through it all. And after that verse, we learn not to blame God when we are tempted. And to remember that God gives us good things because of who he is. So that's the context of that larger section. When you read the verses before it and the verses after it. Why did the Holy Spirit include this passage in the book? So this is, you're not going to find this necessarily in something, but I wrote, so we can stay steadfast under trials and not give up. Pretty simple, right? Face value meaning. What is he intending to communicate through this text? That blessing comes when we persevere in life. Now write a short summary of what this passage means. If I will remain faithful to God in the midst of my trial, I will experience the blessing that only comes from perseverance. Now, at this point, I think I have a good interpretation of what James meant when he wrote this scripture. But to double check myself, I now will go to my Bible study. I'll go to my, uh, not my Bible study, my study Bible. I will check in my study Bible. I'll start reading the notes that were related to James 1.12. Then I'll go over to my favorite commentaries, and I will read about James 1.12 in my commentaries to see, have I, you know, do I have it right? And if I find out that I'm way off from what it really means, I take what I read and I rework it into my answers because I want to have the right understanding of the meaning. Okay? If I get it right, if my interpretation's good, I move on to application. So here are the questions for my application. <coughs> How can this help me? It can help me stay strong knowing there is a reward waiting for me. How does this passage apply today? When problems happen with people or things in my life, I should stand strong and not give up. What would the application of this verse look like in my life? It would look like me not giving up and quitting when things get rough. Real, real brain science right here, right? How does this apply to me? Well, God's not made me a quitter. And I should be all that he has made me to be. And what is God saying to me? I felt like, son... Trust me in the tough and rough times. I have great reward awaiting for you if you remain steadfast. That finishes the application, the apply, the A, part of my journal. And now I go on to the respond with these questions. How will I be different because of what God has said to me through his word? Well, I'm going to experience the blessings of not quitting. And receive the crown of life. Write a prayer to God based on what you learned from this passage. What would you like to ask for God's help? I just said, Father, help me to be steadfast under the trials that come my way. Help me to look long term in life and see the prize at the end. And then finally, the call to action. 
What will you commit to do based on what the Holy Spirit has revealed in this passage? And I just said, I will be faithful to persevere in the trials that come my way. With that last question, I finished my assignment. And when we get back together a week later, we will ask each other, because when we get with our, our, our discipleship time as a family and in our D groups, we're going to share all of these with one another. And I'll share that with my family. Well, then the next week when we get together, this will be the thing we follow up on. How'd you do with trials this week? I failed. It's a real answer. Okay, we need to pray for you. We need to amp up our prayers. What are you going through? What you know? And that's the moment where we bring the word of God to our lives. And that's what accountability is all about. How did your assignment go last week? What did you do with the word of God? Okay? So, I hope that was helpful. Now, listen, again, I am not trying to confuse us or overcomplicate this process, all right? I just want to further equip everyone to do well in our discipleship. You don't have to do or use all of those questions I use. That handout, you know, the four questions, one for each section, it's good enough to get started, okay? Start there. But eventually, this is the kind of studying we all need to be doing as we seek to understand and live out God's word, and especially as we are called to be disciple makers. This is the Bible study we've got to all apply ourselves to so that we can be equipped to help teach others to obey all that Christ has commanded. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. <coughs> well, God, we just thank you for the blessing of your word. We thank you, God, that you're growing us and teaching us and encouraging us and equipping us to handle it properly. We say, Lord, bring that theological understanding to our lives, God. Help us to grow, be more theologically sound. We want to think right so we can live right. So, Father, help us in this time. Help us in these days. God, encourage us, Lord. Remind us to just dig in and go after the word of God like we've never done before. God, help us to memorize your word and your scriptures. God, make it a priority. Show us, Lord. And Father, I'm asking today a special blessing on dads as they seek to lead their families in discipleship with warmth, God. Anoint them and, and awaken in them something new and fresh. And I bless moms, too, right there carrying the torch for so long. Some are very weary, God. I'm asking for strength in their hearts, too, to see that things can, can, can grow, to know that their, their investments and their, and their 
their seeds that they've planted, they're not going to come back void. So help us, God, as moms and dads, and help us as discipleship group leaders to be spiritual moms and dads that you've called us to be. Everyone in this house. So we love you, Father. We bless you today. We give you praise. Thank you that you are going to send us out and help us become fishers of men this week as we follow you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we say, amen.